and I'm going to try to keep it short. I thought the best thing to talk about would be relationships. Because this is the ultimate act of going public with a relationship, right? And I thought, what better way and what better thing to talk about? Because see, everything exists in a relationship with something else. If you were to literally take a tree, for example, a a tree exists in a relationship with the sun, it exists in a relationship with the the soil and the water, Uh, and so if you change any one of those items, the tree changes or dies. So everything exists in a relationship with something else. Even if you were to go take it down to the smallest things, and, and well, not the smallest things, but one of the smallest things, you take an atom. An atom itself, the, the, the most simplest atom, a proton and a neutron, and you got electrons around it, there is a relationship that exists between those items that keeps those things together. And the minute you split it, all this energy is released out of it. So everything exists in a relationship with something else. I mean, in the beginning, God created man. That's the first relationship outside of God relating perfectly to himself. And then he created a woman. So now, now we have God relating to man and then man relating to somebody else. So we exist. We exist in relationship with other things and other people. We were created to live together. Can I get an amen with that? We were created to do life together. The weirdest thing happens when you take someone and you, you pull them apart from everybody else and, you know, you isolate them. They, they start to get strange. <laughs> you ever notice that? You ever, you ever met a person that's not been around anybody for a long time? And you're like, ooh, I don't know if I want to be around those guys because they're a little bit awkward, a little bit strange. We were designed to live together. It was one of the first things God said wasn't good was that man was alone. So he created someone else. So we were designed to live together. And, and so what I want to do today is I want to give you a verse. It's a strong verse. And after I give you that, we're going to pray uh, because it's a strong verse. Okay, so if you've got a Bible, if you've got an iPhone, iPad, whatever you've got, um, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If you don't have that, we're going to have it up on the screen here. And it says this, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. He won't love the person he can see. How can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. It's pretty strong. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to do both. I mean, that's a strong verse coming from uh, John, the the guy of love, right? Strong verse. So let's pray before we dig into this. Let's bow our heads. Father, Lord, I thank you, Father, for, for the people you have here in this service, Lord. God, and I ask in this moment that their hearts will be open, Lord, to your word and what you have for us today. God, and I pray that, that no, no word that would proceed from my mouth would, would, would be mine but be yours. Lord, and we just ask that with everything that happens today that your name be made more famous and that your name be glorified above all else. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, now I want to read that again. So we put that scripture back up. You know why I wanted to pray now right before... I got into that because I just called a bunch of people a liar, right? So he says, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when, the, when I say the word liar, I don't even like to say it. You know, kids say it all the time. You're a liar. He's a liar. But there's just something in me that I, I don't like the word, right? My, my little boy, um, 
He's five, and uh, the other day, it was last Sunday, actually. Was it last Sunday? Yeah. Last Sunday, we uh, went to Klein Park up in Waluska because he loves to go to the park and just play and play and play. And um, he, he's at the age where he's learning to do things now um, that he couldn't do before, but he's still telling me that he can't do stuff, right? So he gets on the playground, and he's playing, and he's on the monkey bars, and he gets to this one thing, and it, it goes up and kind of curves around. If you've ever been to the park, it's about 15 feet high at the top point, which is way high for a five-year-old, way high. Right? I mean, and, and he's just like, I, I was like, go ahead and try it, son. He goes, I can't do it, Dad. And I'm like, all right, all right. Well, suddenly, this little girl showed up, who was about five, started talking to him, and suddenly my son could do anything. He, he, he <laughs> you're laughing because he, he literally, this thing, I look over and he's on top of it, standing there. And this little girl's down here watching him. He's like, hey, look at me. And I went, you little liar. You can't, you, you, all you had to have was the right motivation. <laughs> right? So he's up there, Dad, look at me. Well, she leaves, and then he goes back to not being able to do anything again, right? He goes back to, I can't do the monkey bars because I might fall and all that stuff. But I was like, man, you lied. You're such a liar. You, you, all you had to have was that right motivation. So we decided to go take a little walk. And as we're, we're taking our walk, uh, it's, it's the funniest thing in the world, um, and the saddest and scariest thing all at the same time. <laughs> uh, there's a little nature trail. That runs there. If you've ever, who's ever been, anybody ever been to Klein Park? Okay, there's a nature trail. I think it's called Boston Trail, and uh, it's it's well kept. And we're we're about 15 yards into this trail. We're not far from the entrance. And I decide that since I'm old, I need a walking stick. So I go into the woods and I break me off a walking stick. And I'm like, cool. And he's about where the keyboard is. And he turns and goes, Dad, I want one. Immediately, Dad's got one. He wants one. So I was like, okay. So I turn and I look at him, and he takes three, two or three steps forward and stands right in the middle of a yellow jacket nest. Yeah, big, big in the room all at once. He stands right in the middle of this nest. Now, he didn't know it. I didn't know it. I turned around to start, you know, breaking things off and things like that. And, um, and he starts screaming. Immediately, dad mode kicks in where you turn into like the crazy Power Ranger that nobody had ever seen before. And you look, and I saw all these bees around him. And I reached over and grabbed his hand, and I started dragging that little boy out of the woods onto the little path. I mean, I was dragging him as hard as I could. And he was trying to run, and he was screaming while he was getting stung. And then he fell down, and he gets back up. And I- I'm looking at him, and the poor guy got stung like five or six times by yellow jackets. And he got stung on the neck. <laughs> like the worst place you can get stung, right here. He gets stung on the neck, right here. Because if you're allergic, what's the first thing that's going to swell up? <sighs> right there. So he gets stung on the neck. And, and I got to looking, and the, the bee that was sitting there stung him five times because he couldn't get him off. just kept stinging him right there. And in that moment, I was like, can you breathe? Can you breathe? He's like, yeah, I can breathe. I can breathe. I was like, oh, good thank God. I, I started laughing a little bit. It's like, you're not allergic. He goes, dad, what's allergic mean? And I'm like, oh, we, we don't need to worry about it right now. So we go through this whole thing. And I'm, I, you know, amazingly, I didn't get stung. I don't know how that happened. I was swatting bees off of them. And I, and, and, and so it all gets done and he's crying. And he's shaking a little bit. And he goes, dad, you laughed at me. <laughs> I said, I didn't laugh at you. I was laughing in the moment because, um, you weren't allergic. Thank God. And then again, he goes, what's allergic? I said, we'll talk about it later. We'll keep talking about it later. And he said, you made fun of me. And I said, no, I didn't. He goes, you're a liar. You're a liar. You made fun. I was like, no, I didn't. And he just, he still to this day thinks I was laughing at the fact he got stung by bees. Called me a liar. So I, I couldn't, especially when, when you know that you've done nothing wrong and someone calls you a liar, it's, it's like, it makes your skin crawl, right? In this, in this, in this verse, John, John basically talks about not us doing something wrong, he talks about really our motivation with what we're doing with the love God has given us. So I want you to keep that in mind today as we dig in here. Um, and I want to start with a point. And I'm going to read this point and I want you to really listen because this, this particular point um, is going to be up on the screen in a second. Uh, it, 
it's going to sound like it's not true. You're going to be like, that's not necessarily true. But Pastor Joel set me up perfectly because I had a ton of people who did this just now. And when you did it, uh, you're going to realize you did it after I read this, okay? So first point is this. That there is absolutely no difference between your handshake in the foyer and your hand raised in the sanctuary. Now, we're talking about relationships today. Pastor Joel had you step out of your seat from front to the back, go shake a hand, Right? And in that moment, you were just obliging him. You were probably being cordial, right? In the auditor or in the foyer when you came in this morning, you you shook someone's hand, probably, right? Anybody shake a hand? Okay. And if you've been here a while, you've shaken somebody's hand, and you may not like that person. <laughs> you may you may have shaken their hand and been like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just just that cordial, mm, yeah, hey, hey, buddy, hey, you know, kind of that that moment where you're like, mm-mm. But there is absolutely no difference between your handshake in the foyer and your hand raised in the sanctuary. Now, I'm, I'm going to explain that to you. And how we're going to do this, I'm going to look at Paul and what Paul wrote. But before we do that, I've got to give you some information about Paul so you know him. Okay? Now, Paul, um, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the ruling religious class uh, in, in, in Israel at the time. And that means he had his stuff together. He knew his stuff. He wrote most of the New Testament God used him greatly to witness to the people that were not Jewish, and, and, and he was just an awesome guy. He had probably the hardest job I can think of, of, of probably any of the guys in the Bible other than Jesus, because simply he had to go into a, a pagan, non-believing place and begin to preach the gospel. But what was interesting about Paul is that what he was doing was being done to some extent by other people. Because in Paul's day, there were many philosophers. And philosophers would go around and they would try to win people over to, to, to coming on board with their way of life. right? Their way of life, their way of doing things. They would try to gain disciples. But they all had this common thing. All the philosophers in the Greco-Roman world had this common thing. They knew there was something wrong with, with people. They knew there was something wrong with people. And, and, and they would talk about this condition that people existed in, this misery, this state that they existed in all the time. And, and they would never give a reason or how to fix it, but they could identify it. The difference with Paul is that Paul would turn around and say, yes, there's this problem, and it's called sin, but I also have the solution to that problem. And his name is Jesus. And people really clung on to that. And just so you know, sin was a, a thing that the, the Romans knew about, but their view of sin and Paul's view of sin were different. The Romans' view of sin was an unfortunate mistake that you have to live with the consequences of. Paul's view of sin was an unfortunate mistake that dishonored the creator of the universe and dishonored yourself and, and created this gap between a relationship that, it, that should exist. So, so Paul had this look upon relationships and sin and how that worked that the Romans didn't have. You see, Paul understood that every single thing that you do has spiritual implications. Every single thing. You're sitting right now in this auditorium listening, obliging me in this moment, hopefully not on your phone, live tweeting the whole service right now, has spiritual implications. It does. Your handshake that happened in the foyer, your handshake that happened a minute ago, the hug you gave somebody a minute ago, has spiritual implications. And Paul knew this. He, he knew that every single thing was spiritual. And I'm going to read you, I want to read you a letter that he wrote, because, because Paul specifically knew that relationships were spiritual in nature. He wrote a letter to the Romans, 
And this, this letter that I'm going to read you, this portion of the letter, has to do with the relationships in general. And, and he doesn't address the flowery things you would want to hear about relationships. He addresses the things that you and I do in relationships. Okay? So I'm going to read this to you, and they're going to put it on the screen. And it's in uh, Romans um, chapter 14, I believe, verses 1 through 12. Now, keep in mind, he's not, he's not addressing the flowery things. He's addressing the things that we do. He says, welcome with open arms believers who don't see things the way that you do. And don't jump all over them when every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems like they're strong in opinions but weak in the faith department. Has anybody ever been a victim of that? Has anybody ever perpetrated that crime? Come on. I have. Somebody didn't believe what I thought? Oh, I thought, oh, I've got to defend the thing like you don't believe. You've, I've got, it's going to happen right now. This is going down. In the moment, I'm about to defend this thing. because You don't, you don't believe what I believe? I'm about to drop it like it's hot and you're not going to like it. And when it's done, I will be the winner. I'll be like, we are the champ as I'm walking off. But <laughs> he specifically says, don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. And then he says at the end, he says they have their own story, their own history to deal with. He says, treat them gently. And then he gives a for instance. He says, for instance, a person who has been around a while might be well convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background, oh, that's a key word, different background, might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. Thank God that is not the case about Christianity. I love steak. Does anybody love steak? Okay, nobody? Okay, two, three people. Hamburgers maybe? You guys are quiet right now. So... And he says, but since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they failed to criticizing what each other ate? He's talking about relationships. He's talking about how we interact. He says, God, after all, invited both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? He's hitting us hard where, where relationships are right now. I asked a minute ago if anybody been a victim of this. And uh, if you're a, a non-Christian and you're here today, and you have been a victim of this as it relates to a believer, I want to apologize for that person's sake and to you because we know better. It's given to us. I want to keep reading here. I'm not sure they've even got it. I I kind of didn't do this in the first, but I want to keep going here. Um, He says, God can handle things without your help. He says, do you have any business? No. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like the other. There are good reasons either way, so each person is free to follow the convictions of their conscience. What's important in all of this is that you keep a holy day. Keep it for God's sake. So he goes on and, and he starts talking about stuff. And then at the end of this, he says that that's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again. So that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. There are lots of petty stuff that break up relationships. How many, how many times have, um, in, this, in a room this size, it, it, it's, it's happened, how many times have you gotten angry with somebody that, that you haven't talked to them after that? I mean, you, I, it, raise your hand. If that's happened to you, you just got angry, you took it off. It was it. Jesus came to free us from those petty tyrannies of each other. Because he understands relationships are important. You see, again, Paul understood that every action was spiritual in nature. Your interactions with your brother are so, so important. Your interactions with your sister are so important. So important that John says that if you claim to love God and you hate your brother, then you're a liar. You can't love someone that you can't see if you can't love the person in front of you that you can see. That's how important relationships are to our God and to each other. 
Now, if you've gotten angry before and you've breaking, breaking, <laughs> I think it's going to work. If you've broken up a relationship, usually what happens is, is we get mad. We don't want to talk to them anymore. We may see them at Waffle House, wherever we're at, and instantly those feelings came up that caused the anger to be there in the beginning, right? And, 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 and after that, we start thinking in our mind. We start rolling through all the things that we, we know about the person and how they did us wrong and all these other things. And then we start to eventually say things we shouldn't say about that person. And it, the relationship's fundamentally destroyed in that moment. And we've committed murder with our mouths in that moment. But there are times when relationships can break apart, and they also can break apart in a healthy way. There's a story in the Bible of Paul, same guy who wrote this, Paul and Barnabas. They had a disagreement over a guy named Mark. And one of them thought the guy was great for ministry. The other guy was like, no, he's not got it. So they got in this disagreement, and the Bible says that they split ways, and Paul and Barnabas never met each other again. But they did not let their disagreement stop them from what God had called them to do, and they did not speak negatively of one another after that. That's the way that a relationship ends and should end. I mean, have you ever, in this moment where we had worship a minute ago and the hands were lifted high, because again, the point is there's no difference between your handshake and the foyer and the hands lifted up in the auditorium. In that moment where you're lifting, you're lifting your hands high, was it, was it super easy just to hug the person next to you after that? Did you just feel that in the moment when you had your hands lifted? You were worshiping God, and after that, and Joel, Pastor Joel says, hey, turn to your every." I watched everybody get up and move around. Super, super easy because... Loving your brother is a natural byproduct, natural byproduct of loving God. It's a natural by. I mean, it, let's go back to John for a minute. John, First John four twenty. When he says, "If anyone boasts," do we have anybody that boasts about loving Jesus in here? Come on, don't be ashamed. I love him. I'm standing up here. Okay. Anyone who boasts, I love God. And goes on hating his brother or sister. Do we have anybody in the room? And don't want to raise your hand because I know people won't in this moment. But do we have anybody in the room that this moment has a people problem, has a person issue with a brother or sister in Christ right now that you've not handled? In a room this size, I know we do. As a matter of fact, I got one. If I'm going to boast that I love God, and I go right on hating my brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, then John's saying I'm a liar. I sat in a meeting. I'm on the, I'm on the board of a, uh, uh, a local private school. I'm on the board. And I sat in a, a parent meeting this last week. And um, the parents were having an issue, their daughter, something was going on. And as a board member, I was sitting in uh, because uh, the administration felt that there was more to the issue than, than what, what was going on. So I sat in this meeting, and as I sat in the meeting, um, the parents came in, and they came in, and the issue wasn't about their daughter because, you know, we all know our kids can't do anything wrong, right? They're, they're, they're blessed and highly favored and walk around on gold and stuff like that, um, unless you're my kid, and I know he does a lot of stuff wrong, right? So my wife's going, mm-hmm. So um, I'm sitting in this meeting, and uh, the parents immediately started turning the whole thing into a question about a teacher. And not only a question about a teacher, but questioning her Christian walk because of something they thought that they knew about her. And in that moment, they were doing exactly what Paul said, don't do. He, he, 
Paul says if there's manners to be learned and things to be developed, God can do it without your help. They were doing that. They almost, they, they almost actually tried to destroy the character of a person because they were angry about something else. I mean, and we can say all this. We can, we can talk about John, but let's look at actually what Jesus did. And let's just be open for a second. What Jesus did and what Jesus said. In, in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, and they're going to have that up there. Um, this is what Jesus said. And this is talking about relationships. And it's talking about love of God. It says, when the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault. I love the way the message put things. It makes it very, very graphical. Um, one, of their religious, one of their religion scholars spoke for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. He said, teacher, which commandment in God's law is the most important, right? So they think they've bested Jesus. They've got him right here. And Jesus actually turns around and says, love the Lord your God with all your passion, your prayer, your intelligence. He goes, this is the most important and first on any list. But there is a second to set alongside it. He says, love others as well as you love yourself. These two commandments are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs on them. He says in that moment, there is another commandment that is set alongside the first. He didn't say it was greater than the first. He didn't say it was less than the first. He said it's set alongside to love others the way that you love yourselves. So to me, that says that God, you're supposed to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, everything you have. But equal in value to that is loving your, your brother. Because if you can't do that, then you're lying about one of the two. But how did Jesus walk that out? How did Jesus live that out? I'm going to give you some instances in how Jesus walked out this love for other people, this love for people in general. I'm not going to give you the scriptures. You're all, if, you've, if you've read the Bible in any way, shape, or form, you're going to be familiar with these stories as I, as I kind of breeze over them. One of the biggest things Jesus did is he made time for people. There was an instance where um, the disciples are sitting around. There's these kids that are bothering them. You know, you know how kids are. The kids are getting all up in their, their business and stuff. And the disciples are like, no, I'm pushing them away. And Jesus is like, pause, time out. Bring those kids to me because they're people. They may be small people, but they're still people. Bring them to me for such is the kingdom of theirs. He made time for, for kids. He went out of his way, the Bible says, out of his way to see a woman at a well. Made time for people. He reached out to a tax collector named Matthew. And if you know about tax collectors which I can't imagine. Does anyone work for the IRS in here? I don't want to sing you. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody liked tax collectors some 2,000 years ago. And for some odd reason, that's still kind of the same thing today. When you get a call from the IRS, you immediately go, hmm, throat tightens up. Even though you've done nothing wrong, you, you've got that there. So he reached out to somebody that nobody loved. And, and I can imagine Matthew, because back in those days, the tax collector would collect taxes. And then on top of that, he would take a little off the top for himself. And everybody knew this. So that's why they didn't like tax collectors. I can imagine Matthew feeling rough on himself too. But he took time. He made time and reached out to a tax collector named Matthew. He addressed a woman that was caught in an act with forgiveness instead of judgment. How many of us, when we catch people in the act, we don't react with forgiveness. We react with judgment. And then later we're asking for forgiveness because we reacted with judgment. It's a hard thing to swallow. On his way to the cross, he ministered to people. He stood before Pontius Pilate and talked to him about truth. Not, and, and, and I don't know if you, if you really read into it, Pilate was struggling with truth. He ministered to him. In the middle of his agony and suffering, he ministered. And on the cross, with arms 
Red white. He asked for forgiveness for those who were doing this to him because they don't, they don't, he said, God, I forgive them. They don't know what they do because Jesus understood that the experience of forgiveness helps us to understand that the relationships that constitute our lives are actually more important than whether we are perfect. Now, I want to repeat that because that one's a big one. I should have had it put up on the screen, but it's huge. Jesus understood when, with forgiveness that the experience of forgiveness helps us to understand that the relationships that constitute, that make up our lives are actually more important than whether or not we are perfect. Do we have any imperfect people in this house today? Every hand should be up right now. There's not a single person under the sound of my voice that's perfect in any way, shape, or form. And if you think you are, there are people, plenty of, of, plenty of, say plenty of us out there, that will remind you that you're not, even though we probably shouldn't. In Jesus' last moments, he did something amazing that, that speaks to the truth of there being no difference between your handshake and your hand raising. He's hanging on the cross, and he looks up to heaven. And then he looks to the side. He looks up to God with love. And he looks at a criminal hanging next to him with the exact same amount of love and the exact same kind of love. Because he understands that in the end, the only thing that will remain when everything else is gone is God and people. That's the importance of relationships. And so you come to a day, like today with baptism, a day where people are going to go public with their profession of faith. And you're in in a little bit, in a a moment or two, we're going to have people who are a part of their story stand, and you're going to see a visible representation in this moment of how important relationships actually are. You're going to see that. Because it's one thing for someone to walk into a small group but it's another thing for that small group to turn around and welcome them with open arms. That's truth. Before we go there, though, I want to I read you the last part of what Paul actually said because this is something I think we're all guilty of. The very last part of, the, of Romans, chapter 14, Paul says this. He says, so where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? And where does it leave you when you condescend a sister? He says, I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly. Or even worse, he goes, eventually we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. And I know today, I know it's a, it's a harsh thing to talk about because we're all guilty of it. I am. But if in the end, it's going to be about God and people, then all the other little things that separate us from from people, or that we allow to separate us from people, all these little petty grievances, all these little things that we deal with, the disagreements, the things that break us apart, in the end, they're really holding us back from God as well. So here's what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to just recap real quick, and then we'll, we'll move into, into baptism and, and celebrating this relationship. But after I recap, I want to give anybody a, a, an opportunity in the moment to, to just let go of some of the petty things that we've, we've held on to, some of, the, some of the relationship breakers that we've held on to. 
And that, that when you leave today, that you'll have the opportunity, that God will place the person in your path, and it's going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> it's going to be extremely uncomfortable. But he'll give you an opportunity to handle your people business so that when you say, I love God, you can really mean it because you love people. Because without loving him, you can't love people. So number one, there's no difference between your handshake in the foyer and your hand raised in the sanctuary. Because loving an invisible God has very visible outcomes. You would think that the loving of, a, of an invisible God would, would do all this internal invisible stuff, and it does, but the God I serve, his character won't remain invisible. It won't remain invisible. The very nature, his very nature cries out to be made visible, and he chooses to be made visible through love. He says that you, he says they will know you by how you love one another. That's what he says. Because in the end, the only thing that will remain will be God and people. One day, the person you have agreements with, the pettiness of whatever, the thing you're holding against them, one day you will be next to them, kneeling down in front of the face of an almighty God. And those petty grievances, those, those little things that were there, those small things that, that caused big ruckus won't exist. They will have melted away. And the only thing that will remain is you, him, and others. So today, we're going to show a video in a moment, but we need to celebrate these baptisms and their public relationship, their public profession of their relationship with Christ. And we need to celebrate our relationships God put people in our path on purpose. We can screw it up, but he puts people in our path on purpose. And we also need to celebrate the fact that while we were unlovable, that he loved us anyway. And because of that, we have the ability to love others. Let's check out this video real quick before we get ready for baptism. I always felt something missing and I thought it was a person or a thing or, you, you know, something that could, you know, be easily fixed by maybe materialistic things or maybe a temporary person because I never understood that full relationship with, with Jesus. So my name is Katie and... Um, a long time ago, I was living without God, and uh, I was very lost and doing everything I shouldn't have been doing, and um, I was finally saved, and it's changed me dramatically um, from a life of being lost and going on the wrong path and not really having a real direction in my life, waking up with emptiness and trying to find that empty void that I've felt and it's finally not like that anymore. My first day here at New Life, we actually had a um, guest pastor who is going to be our new pastor, which I had the privilege of being a part of that. Um, the sermon that day spoke out to me tremendously, and I do believe that I was fully able to give myself to God from that day forward and to be able to wake up with purpose and to know that everything's going to be okay and never feeling that before is the best and I don't think I could ever be more grateful than I am now 
for all of these things happening to me now that I have God in my life. I completely surrendered myself, fell to my knees, and found that happiness for the first time in my life. Me um, giving my life over to God has been a big part of my life, and I, I want to be able to wash away that past, wash away all the struggles and the pain and the sorrow that I went through, and not have to feel like I have that on my, 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 my shoulders anymore, that burden. Um, the most important person in my life are my children and my parents, and I haven't been able to see my mother in over three years. Um, she is going to not only be able to come and see me and her grandkids, who she hasn't seen, she'll be a part of this biggest change in my life. And to have her here and be a part of that is the best feeling in the world. And I'm so overwhelmed with happiness and glad that she can see this new light and this new solid structure that I have in my life to make me grow as a woman and a good mother for my children. Miss Katie? No need to tell her story because you just saw it. Relationships are important. Your mother's here today? Before you sit down, Katie's going to make a public profession right here by being baptized. And I want, if, if you were a part of Katie's story up to this point, I want you to stand with her right now. If you were a part of her story in any way, shape, or form, I want you to look around, Katie. Look around. Relationships are important. Had some of these not existed, you may not be here. And they're going to stand with you after this as well. So are you ready? February 15th, she received Christ. Now, you don't have any family here other than your daughter, right? Well, you do have family here now. And if you were a part of her story up to this point, I want you to stand. These people were standing with you now, and they will stand with you after this as well. Are you ready, Flo? 
Lord, have you accepted Christ in your life? It is my privilege and honor to finish the gospel and baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. story in any way, shape, or form. And your brother, I know our student pastor will be here. It's an awesome thing to go public with your, your faith. Today you get to do that. Are you ready, brother? Let's have a seat. Kevin, you receive Christ as your personal Savior. And it is my honor and privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Baptized in this moment. I'm going to be waiting right down here. And we would love to have the honor to be able to do.